Thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Welcome to the news quiz. We start with an advert from the Rydale Gazette and Herald, read by Chris Aldridge. King-size mattress in good condition for sale. Hardly any wear and tear, as belongs to a married couple. <laughs> and our thanks to Edward Tilley of Helmsley for sending us that. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Francis Ween and Jeremy Hardy. <laughs> and opposite them on my left, Phil Jupitus and Fred McCauley. Right, Francis, let's start with you. Who wants the private to become more public? Is this public schools? It is indeed. Well, actually, the Charity Commission, among others, I think they've said that, because public schools have charitable status, and they say if they want to keep it, they've got to stop behaving like clubs for the children of well-off people and show that they are uh, providing a public benefit, which actually misses the point. They are providing a public benefit, because um, rather like Alan Corrin's thing about the point of Sainsbury's being to get the riffraff out of Waitrose, <laughs> um, it's... Uh, <laughs> The whole point of public schools, as I understand it, is to keep the upper-class riffraff out of perfectly decent state schools, which mm. might otherwise be ruined by mm. all these it girls and hoorays um, cavorting around and throwing up and going off to Bougie's nightclub every night. That's the thing. Um, and it, it works very well. It means the state system doesn't have people like David Cameron in it. <laughs> There's a ridiculous man called Anthony Selden, who uh, is the headmaster of Wellington College, the school to which Geoffrey Archer didn't go, but occasionally... <laughs> Accidentally, these people think he did go. He claims um, he went to the one in space. <laughs> in and, the future. Uh, he, anyway, old Anthony Selden uh, popped up and said it was uh, perpetuating apartheid. Not really sure what the similarity is. In well, the because it creates an unequal society in which one class of people, albeit not divided by race, are, oh, are, are actually run the means? society and they're oh, only right. a minority and the rest don't, you see. It's not a precise analogy, but it's quite an interesting one. But they don't have passports, do they, in state schools yet? No, they don't have passports. Got, we've got guns. Or, <laughs> or, or Bantu stands. Comparing things is always a bit unwise. People usually compare things to South Africa and Nazi Germany. Mm. And you're going out on a bit of a limb, really. <laughs> if you're not sure if you go to a private school or not, if you arrive at school and you feel like a character from Monopoly in that you're wearing a top hat, you've got a waxy moustache and you're in a silver car. You're at a private school. <laughs> That's the strange thing, is why parents have put children who go to private schools want their children to have stones thrown at them, because private schools, they have vermilion waistcoats and they go to school wearing plus fours and Elizabethan beekeeping masks and things. <laughs> They're just walking targets for the poor, aren't they? <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's weird they're public schools, but they're private. I wish someone would it's just... because they're public limited companies, I think. Sort it out something. for once and for all. Because I think it'd be better if every kid had a meter on them like a taxi, but it was just showing how much their education was costing as they were sat there <laughs> being educated. I had that Tomkinson in the back the other night. <laughs> I didn't know that they were... Cha- I'd never heard this before, that they were charities. And I thought, I've never seen an advert for one of these poor independent schools. Just £2 a month would get Penelope her new boater. <laughs> <laughs> Picture of child crying with no hat on. I mean, <laughs> this is Tarquin. <laughs> he has had no quail this month. <laughs> Please, Just four guineas could... could make him a satisfying meal. <laughs> Can I just say to my youngest, who's at boarding school, that Daddy is taking part in this programme. 
And, don't you uh, like him? I'm, then? I'm sorry, you don't have a top hat or a beekeeping mask. <laughs> Why'd you send him to boarding school? Don't you like him? Not much. It's t- <laughs> the Charity Commission is publishing guidelines that states independent schools will have to prove they are run for the public benefit <laughs> in order to maintain their charitable status. Annually, charitable status saves independent schools £100 million a year in tax breaks, which is roughly the same as sending three children to Pony Club for a whole year. So that's very nice. <laughs> very pleasing for them. So two points to Francis. Jeremy, who yeah. pensioned himself off to bump off a bumper pay rise? Uh, the gentleman who didn't take a pension. Not one, Jeremy. Gordon Brown? Yeah. Oh, Gordon Brown's not taking a pension because he wants to be a burden to his family. <laughs> Uh, I'm going into a home. (laughs) The Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, he's not taking his pension, but MPs want more money. And he doesn't want them to have more money because it would send out the wrong signal because the cops are getting all irate because the teachers have got more than them, which is fair enough because teachers don't kill people. Um, (laughs) Except on field trips. (laughs) Uh, So... uh, um, yeah, the cops are going to be irate and then they're going to go on strike. But they can't because it's illegal. But who's going to arrest them? Um, <laughs> but the MPs want more money and they are in a unique position because they can vote themselves more money. I've always thought the desire to be in government is a reason you should not be allowed to be in government. And I think the government should be run on a rotor basis. <laughs> like the lottery, it's just your turn to be Prime Minister for a week. <laughs> Oh, no. It's a bit like jury service. Can't be Prime Minister. My leg hurts. Yeah, what would you do yeah. if you were Prime Minister, Phil? Come on, what would, you what do? would I do? Yeah, go on. I'll make you Prime Minister for just for this moment. I'd have my photo taken a lot outside number 10. <laughs> Smiling. Yeah, yeah. And then I wouldn't have to Photoshop myself onto Gordon Brown's body anymore. <laughs> Which does take quite a long while, and my mouse finger's not all it could be. Gordon Brown has set an example to MPs, bless him, threatening to revolt over their lower-than-expected pay rise by announcing he has declined the special Prime Minister's pension worth £64,000 a year that all other Prime Ministers have received. Gordon also persuaded Jack Straw, the Lord Chancellor, to forego his special pension. And Jack is still showing everyone his Chinese burn. There's two points there to Jeremy. Phil, which council has made the government see red? Oh, Yes. This is the British Council, whose role is, over the world, the British Council, is uh, to make expatriate British people feel less homesick. If you like living in Zimbabwe, they dig a massive hole outside your house, and then they sit outside it drinking tea for a week. (laughs) Just to make you feel that everything's nice and normal. Now, um, of course, there's all this uh, bother going on at the moment with Russia, over them coming over here and murdering people. And uh, then not letting us put the people that did the murder in on trial. The guy that they wanted to extradite for the murder of Alexander Litvinenko, that KGB agent, is now a Russian MP. I know, yeah. Yeah, imagine that, a criminal in Parliament. Extraordinary idea. (laughs) I know we've got criminals in Parliament. We've not got a lot of murderers. That's a bit more edgy, isn't it? As far as you know. Vote for me or I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Why the Scottish accent? I don't know. I was next to you. I was intimidated. (laughs) As far as I can tell, the British Council's job is to improve our cultural image around the world. So there's someone in London goes, who wants to take Alan Akeborn to Zambia? And then someone goes, oh, I will. And off they go and they do their thing. And the Russians said, you're not going to open them. The British Council said, we are. And the Russians responded by, uh, they arrested the Kinnock's son, Stephen. Stephen. They pulled him over for uh, what they said was drink driving. 
And he had diplomatic immunity. They wanted to breathalyse him, and he went, no, I think I'll make a call. And he called the ambassador, and he could just sit there waiting for the ambassador in his motor. Did you not find it amazing to learn that Neil Kinnock's son is running the St. Petersburg office of the British Council? Not as such, because Neil Kinnock is the uh, chairman of the British Council. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed, uh, diplomatic relations between Britain and Russia have taken a turn for the worse, as the Russians have attempted to close down the British Council's offices across their country. Foreign Secretary David Miliband described Russia's actions as a stain on the country his reputation. I still cannot get used to David Miliband being Foreign Secretary. Do you not sort of get a feeling that his parents took him into Parliament for a sort of bring your child to work day? <laughs> Forgot to take him home and now he's got a job. Newton is extraordinary though, isn't it? He's created, because in dialectic theory, Hegelian dialectic theory, you've got like a synthesis, an antithesis and then a thesis. And if you take the thesis as being starism and then the antithesis has been Bolshevism, and then you've then got a synthesis of the two. And in a way, Putin has managed to combine the worst elements of Tsarism and the worst elements of Stalinism in this one muscular, bald, weird ex-spy. And he just doesn't understand, you scratch my back. We sat back, we let him butcher the people of Grozny, thinking, oh, we're earning ourselves from brownie points now. Little did we realise that a few years down the line, our geraniums would be dying in a darkened office from lack of water. And the only word that the listeners understood in that last two minutes (laughs) was geraniums. (laughs) Right, moving on. Fred McCauley. Who is welcoming more donations this week? Um, I think we'd like to welcome more donations of organs. Indeed, yes. There's a lack of donors I think we have 9,000 people waiting for organs to be transplanted mm-hmm. in this country, but we only do 3,000 a year. So that works out. There's uh, about three years of a waiting list. I'm proud to say that I am a potential organ donor. I've signed up to the register. They wouldn't have your liver. You'd have to put it through a ringer, surely. At all, I think it would be fine. Hmm? But there's a kind of alarming expression been bandied about, which is presumed consent. I would like to think that I would be presumed still alive Mm. before you start taking the organs out. I think it'll be one of those things you sign without reading. Can you just sign here, here and here and and you won't actually read it through? Because they can't really say, well, it's a routine procedure and we're expecting you to be back to your normal self very quickly, but um, I wouldn't get attached to your heart and lungs if I were you. (laughs) I mean, why would your relatives care? I mean, my daughter's got her eye on my record collection, but... (laughs) has expressed no interest whatsoever in my sweetbreads. And as far as I'm... You know, so long as Gordon Brown keeps his hands off me undertones albums, um, he's more than entitled to all the sausage-making components. I quite like the idea of Jeremy's daughter wearing new novelty earrings down at the playroom. (laughs) Oh, no, Dad gave them to me. (laughs) But it's not Gordon Brown's job. He's the government of all the talents, because he's just doing everybody else. It's not his job, it's your man, um, Alan Johnson. Uh, who's health bloke, who's always in my Sainsbury's. Never does any work. Honestly, every time I go in Sainsbury's, Alan Johnson is there, lurking around the awful counter, <laughs> casting a BDI over innards. Uh, yes, indeed, it is the donation story that doesn't involve Peter Hain. Gordon Brown signalled his support for the presumed consent system regarding organ donation. Uh, This system would allow doctors to remove the organs of a dead patient without needing to ask family members. And critics argue that the state has no right to commandeer body parts 
after death, although surely it's better than commandeering them before death, which is the other option. Uh, at the end of round one, the scores are as follows. Francis and Jeremy have got six points, and Phil and Fred have got four. And we start round two with an obituary from the Harrogate Advertiser. A popular Harrogate swimming teacher has died. Noreen Bennett taught at Coppice Valley Swimming Pool, the Hydro, and Starbeck Swimming Pool for 20 years. My mother was an accidental swimming teacher, said her daughter, Kim Bennett. It was just something she fell into. (laughs) Now, thanks to Keith Fuller for sending that in. Francis, who is taking the initiative when it comes to private finance? Is this some uh, contractors? Yes. um, uh, Well, schools and hospitals and other things are being ripped off by private contractors. The National Audit Office produced a report saying that now everything has to be done by private contractors. They charge, I think, 300 quid for changing a light bulb in a classroom and that sort of thing. And, and it's a scandal. And it was introduced by this chap who's now Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. It was his great thing, as Chancellor. He said, we must have more of this. And now we've got more of it. So the reason that contractors have to charge so much is the massive uptake of cones by students. It's the cones and the lamps that go missing. In fact, students nick so much roadside furniture, as I believe the contractors... I had a mate that was at university. He had so much gear in his room, he was able to set up a small contracting company when he left, rather than than graduate. It's a bit like Burrell opened a florist with using all the flowers from Diana's funeral. (laughs) If your name is an anagram of Diana, I can do your funeral. (laughs) I can do Nan. Aidan you could have, couldn't you? Ada, Nan. Uh, Yeah. Ian. Aidan, Ian. Dan. (laughs) Ida. (laughs) I can't do Bob. Do you get princess as well? Do you get to use that as well? I <laughs> <laughs> like anybody from Wales. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we're making jokes about that. It's not funny at all. It's appalling. <laughs> oh, if we can, we can do die. <laughs> National Audit Office yesterday revealed millions of pounds of taxpayers' money is being wasted as officials are overpaying private firms to undertake the simplest of tasks under the private finance initiative scheme. It's one of those stories where you just can't get enough detail, isn't it? It's just so thrilling. Uh, For example, the Royal Blackburn Hospital has had keys replaced, costing as little as £4.26 and as much as £47.48. But to be fair, that one was a very big key. So that's not a problem. Two points there. Fred, who wants us all to take a walk on the wild side? It's not Lou Breed. No, it's not. Um, it's a new, yet another watchdog. Ah, is, is this the health and safety people? Kind of, yes, they are. They are and about health and safety. it's related to, is it a schools? Is this another schools thing? No, it's a it's new the, is council. Is it the Risk and Regulatory Advisory Council? Yes, right? point yeah. there. Extra point there to Francis, it is. It's that thing, well, Gordon Brown is um, uh, trying to endear himself by saying there's far too much petty-fogging bureaucracy, which means that packets of pistachios have to have a label saying may contain nuts and that sort of thing. And uh, he wants to sweep it all away. It's all dangerous book for boys stuff. He says you should be allowed to um, take your own risks. So he's setting up a new supervisory body Mm. to supervise the existing supervisory bodies. So from the end of next month, on a packet of pistachios, it will say, Yes, nuts, eat them, you Nancy. (laughs) Why do people get so... That's the thing that people get most irate about, isn't it? It's outrageous. Packets of nuts with may contain nuts. I, I know it's foolish, but it's quite quaint and charming. It's like the old money. It wasn't doing any harm, pounds, shillings and pence. Yes, it was lunatic, but it was quite charming. 
Why can't we have our quirks? What's wrong with it? I quite like it. I like it when we paid for everything with geese. Not that I remember that, but the idea is fabulous. That you'd have to walk around with half a dozen geese if you wanted a pint of milk. Making tin goose. Yeah. <laughs> you give them the goose, you get a chicken change. <laughs> Isn't it the case that fewer children are taking geography or something like that because teachers are refusing to go and field trips because of the health and safety and the risks? That was, in fact, my supplementary question, so what I'm going it? to give you an extra point. Um, it's because sure, people used to reading. think when teachers killed our kids on field trips, <laughs> um, people used to say it was empire building for the children and character building and it was good for them. Oh, yes, and... People always say, oh, when I was a kid, you know, we had freedom, you see, and my parents didn't know where we were, and all day we'd be out in fields and streams and looking through old bomb craters and climbing up mountains and flying to the moon. Oh, and our parents didn't know where we were from dawn till dusk. That's because their parents didn't give a toss whether they lived or died. (laughs) Parents used to be horrible. They used to have dozens of children on the basis that most would die of diphtheria. Uh, the government have set up the Risk and Regulation Advisory Council to combat what Gordon Brown sees as the overprotective nature of the nanny state. The website of this new advisory council states that Gordon Brown is committed to taking the better regulation agenda to a new level by focusing upstream at where policymaking engages with risk. <laughs> this is a new way of saying Gordon is up a certain creek without a proverbial. <laughs> Right, and at the end of round two, Phil and Fred have got seven points, but Francis and Jeremy are still in the lead with 11. And before we start round three, here's a cutting from the Herald and Post. A record 12,000 bra-clad walkers are set to take part in next year's Moonwalk fundraising march through Edinburgh, organisers have announced. Festival and events champion, Councillor Steve Cardowney, said... 10,000 took to the streets with their bras for last year's walk, which was a huge display of support. (laughs) And our thanks to David Foster of Edinburgh for spotting that. Francis, who is fighting for his right to party? Fighting? Mm, That's a young man who's keen to be allowed to party. Uh, He's, uh, what can I tell you, he's Australian? Oh, it's not that teenager who Mm. wanders around wearing nothing but a duvet around his ankles. That's the one. Um, there's a 16-year-old Australian boy who did one of these things involving Facebook and MySpace and put out a thing saying, hey, the parents are away, we're having a party. 8,000 people Lord, turned it's up. like he's in the room. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he had Welsh ancestors, you see. And, uh, he, uh, and, and I think 10,000 Australians turned up and drank a lot of beer and the neighbours complained. And he's since left home. He's, he's now become a media star, but he's refusing to speak to his parents because his parents got cross with him. Mm. So he's in a sulk. He's saying, I'm not going to speak to them anymore, but I will go on breakfast TV and um, sign book deals. And he's become a hero to the partying teenagers of Australia because they don't get out much, Australian teenagers. They're never allowed to have any parties or beer or barbecues. Or that it's because they get skin cancer every time they go out the door. <laughs> they do. Australians have got awfully pale. They used to be such a healthy-looking bunch, and now they're covered in factor tarpaulin. <laughs> so uh, they all look quite pasty and normal, like they should do, because they're all European and indigenous people having been slaughtered and driven to the margins. But... <laughs> Nothing to do, is there, in Australia? It's the most pointless country. That's why, you know, you go into trekking shops. There are always Australians in there, aren't you? And you say, like, 
I need to get some Wellington boots. And they say, well, is it just for a festival? Because, you know, you can get these cheap ones. And you think, oh, yes, it's just for a weekend. I'm sorry I'm not going to be crawling on my hands and knees up the Himalayas. <laughs> sorry I'm not scaling the entire face of the world because I come from a country where there's nobody interesting to talk to because we murdered them all and took it. <laughs> those Australians downloading the podcast <laughs> sorry <laughs> Melbourne teenager Cory Delaney has achieved celebrity status after his refusal to speak to his parents or hand himself over to the police after his party at his parents house nearly ended in a riot the new poster boy of rebellious cool held a Saturday night get together which took 30 police officers a helicopter and a dog squad to subdue <laughs> 500 people turned up for the party how big a house was this? <laughs> if I had 50 people at a party, there'd be several in the understairs cupboard. I love this. I think it's a fantastic thing. Anyway, the teenager's parents said they returned to find their home in a disgusting state. Well, I, I visited Victoria. It's not that bad. Um, <laughs> right, Jeremy. Who's uh, upsy-daisy got them booted out of the night garden? What? It's a rather complex story. Do you know uh, about the night garden? No, it's the latter-day Teletubbies. Hmm. Oh, is this the weird children's show presenter? Mm. See, children's show presenter, that just means trouble, doesn't it, really? <laughs> just the words, like, children's entertainer, mm, on a list. <laughs> <It's>, um... <laughs> Why I just say I you... spent six years as a children's television... Oh, you did? I did, I'm sorry, yeah, but, yes. but you're all right now. You, <laughs> you were researching a character, weren't you, Sandy? Um... <laughs> As a presenter, I read something about he, all the crew were getting fed up with him because he kept admiring their groins. Allegedly. Allegedly. They felt treated like bits of meat by him. But that and wasn't the issue. That wasn't the wasn't issue. Wasn't it? Do you know oh, what the issue was? No. Why he got yeah, the, no, yes? no, no. It's because he plays this character and it's like it couldn't get any sicker. These characters, I don't even know what they're called. Tomblyboo. The, the pervies, I don't know. No, no, they're, they're, they're called tomblyboos. <laughs> Where spontaneously their trousers come down at the flick of a switch. That's correct. So he's in his suit and which, in order to be able to feel his way around the set, they have to have a little TV set actually inside the suit and it malfunctioned and he fell off a chair. He said he couldn't see out of the suit, which is the camera thing, and yeah. so he suffered a pelvic injury after being asked to bend over in it. Well, would you... <laughs> the question remains, would you bend over if you couldn't see who'd asked you? He a... <laughs> certainly would in private education, sir. Well, I suppose, yeah. Have you seen this programme, The Night Garden? It's hallucinogenic. You, yes. you can't watch it when sober. See, I can't believe we know these things. I mean, I happen to know that this guy, his name is Isaac Blake, who has, by the way, lost his case. He was playing a tombly-boo, and he was walking... This is part of the court case. He was walking with Iggle Piggle and Macapaca towards the... <laughs> towards the Ninky-Nonky. <laughs> Just imagine some judge and a bit of a horse there going, Oh, I see you. And where was Ninky Nonk at the time? <laughs> Actor Isaac Blake, who played... Actor. <laughs> Actor, yeah. yeah. Who played Ooh the Tumbleboo. <laughs> Bend over, flick the switch. <laughs> in the BBC preschool series In the Night Garden, has lost his case, claiming unfair dismissal after he complained he couldn't see out of his robotic suit, which left him prone to falling over. <laughs> So two points there, Fred, who turned to his local when he was six sheets to the wind. 
Uh, I'm so glad this came up. It's the lone sailor who was crossing the Atlantic mm. and he got in a bit of personal difficulty and did the thing you would naturally do. You, he phoned his mates thousands of miles away who were in the pub to say, I'm going to be late. <laughs> Get a lock in. When you say he got into a bit of personal difficulty, oh. you make it sound like he was indiscreet at an office party. <laughs> the man actually shattered his pelvis. <laughs> It was a similar injury to falling over in a tombly-boo suit, actually. <laughs> it was great that he actually got a signal on his mobile, because he was hundreds of miles from, from anywhere. And I don't know if anybody else has been in that kind of set of circumstances, but a long time ago, about six years ago, I did a charity walk along the Great Wall of China. There was a whole How group of us... How desperate were you in that point of your career? <laughs> <laughs> Just marginally less than now. <laughs> and... The point is that we were walking along and somebody said, oh, God, I've got a mobile phone signal. And Scotland had been playing Belgium in a qualifying football match for the World Cup. And he said, it's 3 o'clock, what time is it at home? He said, it'll be 4 a.m. And I said, well, I, I know the number for the BBC in Glasgow. There'll be security guys on. And I phoned, and this sleepy voice answered, hello, BBC Scotland. I said, uh, who's that? He said, it's John, security. I said, John, I said, it's Fred McCauley here. I said, uh, Oh, in the Great Wall of China, I said, uh, you couldn't tell me what the Scotland-Belgium football match result was. And he goes, oh, hang on a minute. Davey, that's Fred McCauley's in some Chinese restaurant. Best. <laughs> it's even more perilous ringing a pub, isn't it? You'd think the guy would have had some other numbers with him, like maybe have the rough guide to the sea or something like that. <laughs> He was off Bermuda. He rings his local pub, expecting them to do what? To raffle a giant teddy bear, to raise, <laughs> raise the money to buy a helicopter that they'd all be too drunk to fly. So he rang the pub, and then they, they rang the Coast Guard in Cornwall, which is not near Bermuda at all. <laughs> and they rang the Coast Guard in America, who had to get an oil tanker to pick this bloke up, all because he's showing off. God knows how he shattered his pelvis. I don't even want to think about it. Transatlantic sailor who got into trouble off the coast of Bermuda called the landlord of his local pub in Sussex. The call triggered a rescue alert as regulars began lashing empty beer barrels together to make a raft. <laughs> right, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cutting as the teams are brought along, Mr Ween. Sandy, this is from The Times, and it's a story about a 3,000-year-old Egyptian male mummy which is to be examined with the help of the best imaging technology available to the NHS. An earlier scan in London in 2004 revealed that Nesperenub, for that's his name, was in good health at the time of his death, apart from a hole in his head. <laughs> that might just have been his mouth. <laughs> You're a loss to the medical profession. <laughs> now, <laughs> just pop your togs off, let's take a look at you. <laughs> Jeremy. This was sent in by Dr Yacht, and he's from Kirkham, and it seems to be some sort of Canadian website called the Utney Reader. George Farthing, an expatriate British man living in America, was diagnosed as clinically depressed, tanked up on antidepressants, and scheduled for a controversial shock therapy when doctors realised he wasn't depressed at all, he was just British. <laughs> they put me on everything. Lithium, Prozac, St John's Wart, Farthing says, they even told me to sit in front of a big light for half an hour a day or I'd become suicidal. I kept telling them this was all pointless, and they said that was exactly the sort of attitude that got me here in the first place. <laughs> Phil. Yes, um, I stole this one from uh, Mark Steele's house. Um, <laughs> this says here, this is from a paper, there's no credit on it. 
Police have been issued with a guide on how to spot a drunk. The telltale signs, according to the checklist drawn up by the Home Office, include unkempt appearance, making a lot of noise, fumbling with change and being annoying. The giveaways have been ridiculed by publicans who say that they could apply to the majority of their customers even before they've had a drink. Uh, Let's take a look at the final scores. Phil and Fred have got 12 points for this week's winners are Francis and Jeremy with 15. Before we leave you, here is a notice from a Weight Watchers meeting booklet. Correction. The recipe for the bacon and egg breakfast tower on page 6 of Kickstart Your Cooking serves 12 people, not one. (laughs) And with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Jeremy Hardy, Phil Jupiter, Fred McCauley and Francis Ween. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Chris Aldridge. The chair's script was written by Lucy Clark, Simon Littlefield and Danielle Ward. The producer was Ed Morris. listen again to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4 slash comedy.